are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I've been calling Steve, sabbatical Steve. Every time he blows in here, uh, we've just missed you so terribly. I just get so happy whenever I see his face. But it's been sweet knowing, I guess you deserve a sabbatical, you know, after, you know, thousands of years of ministry. It's time. (laughs) The ancient of days living on your insides said rest. So we will appreciate that. Well, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, My favorite part about, my favorite thing about Mother's Day is the four girls I get to mother. They're back there in the back. Kylie is 15. Ava is 13. Arabella is 11. And Liberty is, you know, bringing us, bringing up the, 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 the end of the train at eight. Right, babe? And, um, Ah, you know, getting to be their mother, mothering them is next to my marriage, uh, the greatest expression of the gospel I long to live. And first is my marriage, um, because Jesus, Jesus commissioned us that our marriages would be a picture of the gospel. Then any story we ever could tell that we would peek in on marriages that are devoted to faithfulness, devoted to covenant, devoted to becoming like Christ, and see a bridegroom who left everything in passionate pursuit of a bride. So this is why the gospel will never first be a matter of words, Paul said, that it's a matter of power. It's not a matter of how much of this book can we memorize, but how much of the truth have we become? And, uh, and the second assignment on the earth in my story that I hold closest to my heart to become the gospel is to my kids. And, you know, they, uh, our immediate family is our closest neighbor. So I really don't have a closer neighbor than the one I sleep next to and share a bed with. (laughs) And then I have four other neighbors that are just a couple doors down, depending on which one you go to first. And there there are our greatest opportunity to become what we believe because they trigger up our old man the most. (laughs) People out there can irritate us and trigger us to a degree. But no one has as much access to your heart as the people who are there every morning when you wake up. And uh, it is our, our greatest prize to allow those immediate relationships to become our first priority in becoming the gospel. And... Um, You know, I love Bill Johnson's quote. He says, the light that shines the brightest at home will shine the brightest, the farthest away. And uh, the nations and the world 
seeing the light of the gospel is also served in cherishing the relationships that are closest to our heart. Because uh, the light that shines the brightest at home will have the farthest reach. And I think personally, it is the most challenging mandate. And so we are the bravest moms. We are the heroes because we are the ones that keep centering us back to the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel. And really, I just I wanted to just start off this morning by just looking you in the eyeballs and telling you you're doing a really good job. And, you know, as moms, a lot of us at night, our heads hit the pillow I, I don't think this probably matters how old your kids are. <laughs> your head hits the pillow, and we start running through the list of all the things we didn't do or the mistakes we made, the places we missed it. And you could have missed it when, you know, you, you snapped at Jimmy because he was being ridiculous, and Christ did not come out when you felt the pressure and we can ruminate on that one thing we did in a 24-hour period that was not the nature of Jesus. And what our mind doesn't naturally go to is the 3,762 snacks you handed out and the, uh, the countless smiles, the fact that you were just present, the, the fact that you've made space for your children to matter as a priority in your heart. Like, uh, your brain doesn't pull any of that stuff up. And we actually have to teach our brain to think like Jesus. We actually have to disciple our own brain. We have to put boundaries around our own thoughts to learn to live inside the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ never struggles with grace. The mind of Christ never struggles with truth. Jesus sees the reality of all that is you, your deficits, your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, the places you're nailing it, the places you're missing it. And he accepts you and he loves you and he celebrates you. And regret can never move us out of toxic cycles. Ruminating over the negative will never move us forward into a new habit. You can spend 30 <coughs> years being hard on yourself for the same thing you keep doing. You keep getting triggered and you keep responding in this same way. And regret and a harsh tone will not bring lasting transformation. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. It's the mercy of Jesus. It's when we begin to cover our weaknesses with the same mercy he covers our weaknesses that we're empowered to change. And it never requires reducing the standard. And, and, you know, uh, judgment is so cruel that it exhausts us until we finally just give up. Well, patience just is never going to come out of me. But that's not the goal either. 
your destiny is the nature of Jesus. And it's actually mercy and kindness that produce holiness in us and cause us to not lower the standard to survive our own life. And you know, all the research, uh, when you look at good mothers who really desire to attune to their children, to serve their children, to give them what they need to grow up into the powerful people they've been designed to do, be and do and happen on the earth. They hit the mark, this is like research. They hit the mark about 70% of the time. And in the studies, 70% is generous, okay? And you know, if you feel like you're getting about a C minus, as a mom, <laughs> you are. You are getting a C minus. And part of the reason we get a C minus is because we're trying so hard to get an A plus. And we have to let our perfectionism go because that's not the goal of parenting. It's not the goal of life. Because this is one thing you'll never achieve. I'm helping us out here today. One thing we will never achieve is a seat in the Godhead. It's settled. It's been decided. There's a Father. There's a Son. There's a Holy Spirit. They make up a trinity that defines perfection. In your lifetime, they will never open up a seat for you to sit on that throne. <laughs> that is not winning. They're not going to look at your life and be like, she never misses the mark. Invite her in. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <clears throat> and when we measure ourselves by perfection, we're allowing a religious spirit to disciple us. Because it will become a dangling carrot that will keep your head on the pillow every night stuck on what you're not. And you're, you're battling an argument that won't change. There are a lot of things you're not. Intentionally. And at your best, you're going to get a C minus. And this is why our main mandate that we have been given as born-again believers in the gospel is the ministry of reconciliation. That our job will never be to draw men to our perfection, to draw our children to our sufficiency, to draw the people we lead and serve to ourselves. Because it's a C minus. So sometimes you might get what you need and sometimes you might not. <laughs> our, the joy of our lives is to draw people to the Father. The ministry of reconciliation, no matter where you cut our life, in our marriages, in our families, at our jobs, the assignment will never change. Our lives are to manifest the nature of the Father and draw people to Him and not ourselves. And so, you know, what we have to remind ourselves when we fail 
is we are, we are giving ourselves an opportunity to become the gospel. Because your failure and how you respond to it is a light on the dashboard that lets you know how much grace you're living in. How much of the gospel have I become is really revealed when you fail. Do I, do I push myself on the outside of intimacy when I fail? Do I start to work for access to a relationship with God? Or do I fail and feel just as secure as when I was reading my Bible, sipping my coffee, having deep revelation with the Holy Spirit? And if our security in our worth and our value rises and falls with our performance throughout the day, we know we're not internalizing Jesus as our source. We're internalizing our performance. We're digesting the culture of the world around us instead of living from a world that is not of this earth. You know, and today I just, I really wanted to minister uh, this ministry of reconciliation to everyone who's ever had a mom. And just hearing those words, everyone that's ever had a mom, there is as many people represented, stories represented. And the beautiful thing about preaching the gospel is that no matter where you are or where your story is, the gospel is yours. The gospel is relevant. The gospel is the healing balm. The gospel is the answer. And so, you know, in this context of realizing we all had a mom who at her best gave us 70% of what we needed. And sometimes what gets confusing about honor is we think we, we can't acknowledge that 30% went missing in a really good story. <laughs> and this is humanity. This is being born into a broken, fallen world. There's no way around it. If there was a way around it, Jesus would not need it to come. Every story needs a savior. Every family line needed a Messiah. And honor is not denial. Honor is not pretending. Honor is not skipping over the whole story. This is, this is the most honoring book in the whole wide world. It's alive. It's my favorite book. And the stories in this book are wild. And sometimes it's like, did you need to tell that? I mean, children are going to read this. <laughs> There's some verses that are intentionally not a part of the Sunday school program for a while, you know? <laughs> and honor, true honor requires that I can see your deficits. Otherwise, the honor is a fantasy, and I'm honoring a fantasy in you. 
Honor requires that I can see your strengths. I can see your weaknesses. I honor you. And this is what Jesus taught us when we look at the gospels. He never denied the reality of people's sin. He never diminished this is wrong. He restored dignity in reality. And you know, I remember when I was writing my book and I just felt these nudgings of the Holy Spirit to tell stories that did not feel helpful to any human being. (laughs) And over the years, the Lord will constantly, even in my parenting, why are you being so stingy with your weaknesses? We give from our strengths and we give from our weaknesses when the goal is reconciliation. When the goal is is the ministry of reconciliation. And um, I was just wrestling with, with some of the real failure he was wanting me to put in the book. And um, I happened to be reading a book by Peter Scazzaro at the time called uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It takes you on a journey, you guys. And... Uh, I got to this part where he was talking about King David and he's, he was illustrating that King David had all the influence in the kingdom. He had all the wealth, he had all the power and could have easily written the story in the history books in a way that portrayed him as he wanted to be portrayed. But true emotional maturity, true emotional health tells the whole story. And he went so far, not just to put it in the history books, but to put it in a song, his, his sin with Bathsheba. He put it in a song as an act of worship that the people of God sang. And I read it and I thought, a thought that didn't come from myself. And I heard the Lord say, would you rather put it in a song? And I said, a book is fine. A book is fine. (laughs) So when we're looking at the context of honor, we have to always go back to the standard our God has provided. This isn't people just making up ideas of what health looks like. This is Jesus is our ambition. God is our standard. And he was able to say, David missed it. He slept with another woman's wife and then killed him. David was a man after my own heart. And and God is able to embrace you and cherish you in all your deficits and to truly experience the acceptance the gospel offers, you have to see that it begins with you being a sinner. While you were a sinner, when you were at your worst, you had nothing beautiful to offer. 
He came to be the giver. He came to need nothing from you. And you were wired in that image. You know, 1 John 4 says, God is love. And he's been loving you way before you ever even existed. And so sometimes we can get concerned that we're going to get stuck in our past if we acknowledge how our, how, how the context of our story is affecting us. And so then we, we put lids on our process and call it a spiritual activity to deny and diminish things that need to be grieved that we didn't get. Because if we don't grieve it, we will lower the standard of our expectation from the Godhead. And instead of expecting what we were designed to receive, 100% love, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether you're making good choices or poor choices, whether you're happy or you're sad, a love that is so much bigger than you that it does not depend on you one tiny speck. And if, if we don't actually acknowledge that the gospel requires a cross, and you actually have to hang there and become one in the suffering that he made his own for what you didn't get. And this is why sin is, is absolutely devastating, is because it violates love. And this is why holiness is who God is, because he will never sin against you. He's holy. He has no capacity to violate love towards you. And the problem isn't going back in our past. The problem is we don't go back far enough. You have to, to restore what's been lost, what needed a Messiah. We actually have to go back to before the beginning. That you didn't show up in Genesis 1. You showed up before the foundation of the world. You showed up in the heart of a God who wanted you. That your sole purpose in existence began before the stars took on their shape. And it was because God had a dream of you living inside of his perfect love. And when, when you entered the world, you entered into the story of humanity that is broken. And children, and everybody in here has been a child before. This is what makes the kingdom so difficult, is you have to become like a little child to enter it. And so many of us did not experience childhood in a way that causes us to desire to return to that kind of vulnerability. And so we avoid what Jesus requires. It's a very narrow gate. And you have to go back all the way to the beginning to be born again. And acknowledging that children are the poorest people on the planet. Because we enter this world with zero dollars. 
We enter this world with not even a single article of clothing. We enter this world without a capacity to care for ourselves. We are 100% codependent intentionally. And the greatest thing a child needs is not really wealthy parents with a cute nursery and organic diapers and uh, all the things that are have a place, but that's not what makes a child poor. Because nothing in heaven revolves around an ecosystem that requires money. Like the Godhead isn't strategizing business plans on how to create more passive income. <laughs> like they are the source of everything we see and experience and they did not pay anyone. They are sustenance. And, you know, children then don't, we don't, nobody comes out of the womb like, can you please serve me a steak? Or there's no, there's no appetite for anything worldly. Nobody, nobody has seen a commercial and is like, I really want that red shiny truck so bad right now. <laughs> and I have to have it to be happy. No happiness is centering around anything worldly. In our most pure, innocent state, we crave love. We crave presence. We crave what the world could never offer us. We need to be seen. We need to be touched. We need attention. We need eye contact. We are wired to be 100% dependent on somebody outside of ourselves to give us that. And when that's not available, what starts to happen is it, gets, it wires our worth. And this is where humanity becomes so broken beyond the point of repair because nobody had the capacity to esteem the worth that the God had intended in creating you. That you are worth love that's eternal. You know, I remember one time the father telling me, I created eternity because a lifetime would have never been long enough to love you. You, you have been fashioned in the likeness of love. Not, not, not the way the world offers love. Because when you, you look at 1 Corinthians 13, and it's so sobering because the love in this world is mostly revolving around deficits. And we love so we can receive what we never got. So we give to try to fill up the deficits that are aching in our hearts. But love that defines God. God is love, not an emotion, not a feeling. The very nature of God is the only source of true love. 
And what 1 Corinthians 13 is saying, you can do all these things to try to validate and prove your significance. And if that's your motive, you can give away everything you have to the poor. You can set your fire on your body on fire to be burned as a martyr. And it could mean nothing if you're trying to get something in return. If you're trying to fill up a deficit, it will be a, a clanging gong. Empty. Because love, God love, God is love, gives because of who he is, not because of anything he needs. I love you for no reason. I love you because of who I am. And that's why nothing you could ever do would change who I am. And this is why it becomes so important what we do with failure. Because we learned that my choices, my behavior determines how much love I get. We have to be born again. Because nothing about who you are would ever have the capacity to change who he is. He has been the same. Ancient of days. He will, we, we can count on this, he will never change. <laughs> so nothing about who you are will cause him to change his tone towards you. Nothing about who you are will cause him to be inconsistent in his nature towards you. He loves you because of who he is. He is love. And there's only one source to live inside that kind of love. There are not many roads to this love. There's one. And it costs us everything. Like the road is so narrow we can't fit any of our other crutches in there. And he invites everyone. It's all-inclusive love. And the only requirement is that you come as you are. You come as you are without denying your deficits, denying your weaknesses, denying your sin. You come as you are. And you know, when we were children in that codependent state, we depended on someone else to bring us love. And so we learned all sorts of coping mechanisms to try to get our needs met. If I can do this right, if I can do this better, and, and the majority of that process is so unconscious that we don't realize we're still doing it in adulthood. And that codependent state, you know, is addressed in 1 Corinthians 13 when we get to the very bottom of love looks like this. It's so patient. 
It's so large. It never gets jealous. It never seeks its own. It's not humanly possible because the source doesn't originate with a human. The source is God himself and only God himself. And when we were children, the passage says, we thought like a child. We acted like a child. We thought about love in childish ways. And there's a difference between being childish and childlike. Childish is our opportunity to grow up. Childlike is our experience of redemption in the kingdom. And, you know, the passage says, but now I can see like in a mirror, face to face with love. And I am fully known. And so the beauty of what Jesus did to redeem all of our deficits is he took out the mediator for you to receive love. In every way, no longer do you have to burn a goat and find a really perfect one. You don't have to go find a priest. You don't have to find a leader because they're all 70% available (laughs) on a good day, on a really good day. And no longer would there have to be someone bigger than you and better than you and more powerful than you and more capable than you to get what your soul was designed to live in and breathe in 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Love is like water to a fish. That he would actually, Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you love because the Holy Spirit is God. One of the three parts. And he's going to come and he's going to live on your insides. So no longer will you have to reach so anxiously to get enough love. It's going to live and breathe as a person, as an active, living force that defines love. And out of your innermost being, the deepest parts of who you are, Holy Spirit is going to take up residence there and you'll never be thirsty again. This is a reason to rejoice. Because <laughs> this is what Jesus purchased. That we could all feel that. That you could know there's no wound too deep for this love to reach. That you would know you no longer have to live second class feeling like you're on the outside, trying so desperately to get inside where you could be loved. This is what Jesus purchased, that you would finally have a resting place on the inside of you, that you would be given permission to be loved just as you are. This is the promised land of the kingdom. The father said, 
Jesus said, the Father is sending the promise. The Father is sending the promise. And you know, the promised land is inside of you. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, loving you, accepting you, cherishing you, kissing your wounds, convicting you of your sin when you're, you're living below your holy identity. And he's constantly welcoming you. Come deeper into love. Come deeper into love. Let me love you like this. Let me love you just like this. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And I want to open up the altar this morning. I want to open up the altar and I want you to hear the invitation still speaking. His blood is telling a story this morning. It will never change. It is the ancient story that welcomes every deficit in your story. And, and the invitation is come, come, come. You come and you keep coming every moment of every day. Never again in the whole of your story will you have to live without love. So if you're feeling like this morning, I need a fresh baptism of that love. I need to live in a fresh outpouring. I just want you to come forward. I want you to come and I want you just to camp out for a second in this presence. If maybe, um, is, is the worship team available for a second? Is, is, and you know what we can sing together just in closing is... Um, Abba, I belong to you, or whatever they, they ha happen. But don't wait for the music. Don't, don't, don't wait for anything outside of yourself. Live from this place of promised land inside of you. Respond to the one who calls your name in the way that only you would recognize. The, the way that only it only wakes up your heart on the inside when he calls your name. The I see you, I know you, I love you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.